0: I'm thankful for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. If you have your Bibles today, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. Our text is going to be verses 1 through 11 in a message entitled Victory Over Temptation. We are continuing to think about what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus and live a life that is in pursuit of conformity to the image of Jesus so that it would be, we would be more and more like him. And uh, we are thinking today about this passage in Matthew chapter 4 from the temptation of Jesus to see how we too can have victory over temptation. You might have seen the story in the last week or so. There was a man in the country of Chile who worked for an industrial food consortium and the human resources department made a mistake in paying him. Uh, His monthly salary was somewhere around $540 a month. And he was paid $180,000, or somewhere around about there, uh, for one month. That's more than 300 times his normal salary. So when the mistake was recognized, the man agreed to return the money, and he told the company that he was going to take care of it, and he'd go to the bank, and he would straighten it out. Well, he certainly went to the bank, but he did not straighten it out. Instead of giving that money back, he withdrew it, and he hasn't been seen since. The company received a message from an attorney representing the man who said that he had resigned from his position with the company. Now, what happened to that man is that he succumbed to temptation. He gave in to something that was overwhelming to him, and he just decided that he couldn't overcome it. And all of us are faced with temptations. Now, our temptations often are not that dramatic, Uh, They're usually not that dramatic, at least. But all of us have given in to temptation far more than we would like to admit. We don't really like to think about the subject. And fighting temptation is difficult, but it's worth it. In Matthew chapter 4, we find the subject of temptation with Jesus. He's at the beginning of his public ministry, and he is faced with an outright onslaught attack from the devil. I begin reading here in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. This is what the Bible says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus told him, verse seven, it is also written, do not test the Lord, your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Verse 11, then the devil left him and angels came and began to serve him. The structure of this passage is pretty easy to follow. We have an introduction. Then we have three temptations with three responses. And then we have a conclusion. And the temptation of Jesus and the victory that he secured would demonstrate both the holiness of Jesus and his authenticity as the Messiah and the Savior. That he could resist sin and that he could defeat the enemy on our behalf. So today we look to Jesus as our victor. And we look to Jesus as the one who can give us the strength to also overcome temptation and to live a life that honors him. We look to Jesus as the one who can give us a life that honors God in every way and brings glory to his name. So I want us to think about this sort of like a progression. We're going to think about temptation, what it is, where it comes from, and then we're going to think about how temptation often comes to us in our lives, and then we're going to look at how we can have the victory over it and apply these things to our lives. So first, I want you to note that temptation is a reality Of living in a sin-fallen world. The fall of man took place after God created the world and also after Satan's rebellion in heaven. The biblical account of creation and then the fall of man is recorded in the first three chapters of the Bible. And God gave Adam and Eve everything that they needed in the Garden of Eden to enjoy. But they were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan appeared to Eve, as you'll remember, as the serpent, and convinced her that God had not really forbidden the fruit, and that somehow God was keeping something from her that would be good for her. So she responded to that temptation, she gave into it, she ate from it, and she also gave some to Adam. And it was then that sin entered into God's perfect world. And because of the fall of man, every part of creation has now been subjected to a curse. And sin by definition is missing the mark of God's holiness. It's missing the mark of God's righteousness. It's anything that we think, say or do that is contrary to the perfection of God. And what sin had the effect of doing was bringing the judgment of God into the world. And the consequences for sin was were death, first spiritual death and then physical death, and the consequences remain ...because we still live in this world that has fallen and is under the curse of sin. Matthew chapter 3 leading up to this tells us of the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. He was baptized by John the Baptist in preparation for his ministry... And after his baptism, there still remained another preparation that was in front of Jesus. And that preparation was to be a period of testing in the wilderness. And just as Adam and Eve were tested in the garden, Jesus was tested in the wilderness. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they gave in to the enemy. But Jesus obeyed God the Father and he overcame the enemy. Matthew chapter 4 tells us that Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, that's sort of just a stark statement that somehow in God's sovereign plan, it was his purpose that Jesus be led there as a part of his plan for Jesus to begin his public ministry, to overcome this challenge of temptation and to demonstrate for us who he really is. This is the first introduction to the devil in the Gospels. You remember the devil is the fallen angel who seeks to destroy God's work? That's still what he wants to do today. Jesus said that he'd come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus had come to give life and to give it abundantly. And Jesus is here, and the Bible says that he'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And he was hungry. Friends, that is a supernatural statement of what's going on here. And there's some parallels here that I don't want us to miss. Jesus identified with us in baptism, and he also identified with us in temptation. He did not identify with us in sin because he was sinless, but he identified with us in temptation. He was first in the waters of the Jordan River, and then he was in the wilderness. He was among a huge crowd, and then he was in solitude. The Spirit of God rested upon him, and then the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. The voice of God the Father called him his beloved son, and then the voice of Satan tried to destroy him. The heavens opened at his baptism, and as it was, in a sense, hell opened in his temptation. And there are also some interesting comparisons between the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness and the temptation in the Garden of Eden. In the garden, Adam and Eve had everything that they wanted to eat. Jesus in the wilderness is fasting. In Genesis, the temptation was to eat. And in the wilderness, the temptation began with eating. In Genesis, the temptation was to be like God by disobeying God. And in Matthew, the appeal was to be a king without obeying God. In Genesis, they sinned because they went against what God said. And yet Jesus was victorious because he followed the word of what God had said. And it is important for us, if we're going to have victory, to understand where temptation comes from. Where does it come from? Who do we blame it on? What's the source of it all? Some of you are old enough to remember in the uh, 1960s and 70s, there was a famous comedian by the name of Flip Wilson. And he actually had an award-winning show, and he made a lot of comedy albums and so on. Uh, If you're younger than that, you can look it up on YouTube. And at any rate, he would do something outrageous in plain sight. And then he would turn and smile into the camera, and he'd say, the devil made me do it. That was his famous line, the devil made me do it. Now, everybody knew what he was saying. They got it. They knew that he was trying to avoid responsibility for his behavior and blame it on someone else. But it's not quite that easy. Yes, the devil can tempt us. And yes, he's the source of temptation in part. It comes from our spiritual enemy. The devil is a real personal spiritual being. He is not like God. He cannot be in all places at once. Uh, He is limited in that sense. But he does bring temptation to us just as he did When he brought temptation to Jesus and we know that temptation does not come from God so if we give into it we can't say well God made me do it no God causes no person to sin and God brings temptation to no one James 1 in verse 13 says no one undergoing a trial should say I am being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone temptation in part comes from the fact that we live in this sin fallen creation and it comes from within us because we have a sin nature. Listen to what James 1 and verse 14 says, but each person is tempted when he's drawn away and he's enticed, what? By his own evil desire. Verse 15, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So we're in this fallen creation. We have a sin nature that leads us to be vulnerable to temptation. We have a spiritual enemy who is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil, as one of God's angels, rebelled against God and fell from heaven. And when he fell, he took a host of angels with him who collectively opposed God and his purposes. And while he is a powerful being... His power is limited in this age. And we are engaged in what we would call, and what the Bible calls, a spiritual battle. It is a battle between light and darkness. Paul put it this way in Ephesians 6 and verse 12. He said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And temptation is a reality for us that we have to be aware of. And if we're not aware of it, we're going to be vulnerable to it. And if we're not trying to push back against it, we're going to be vulnerable to it. And if we're not trying to get the victory to be more like Jesus, then we're going to be vulnerable to it. And understanding that from, from the beginning puts us in a position that we can seek to defend ourselves in the victory that Christ has given us. Now, the second part of this is that temptation follows certain patterns. It follows certain patterns. So let's unpack this passage just a little bit more. Awareness of these patterns can help us recognize and overcome them. So temptation can come, first of all, through physical desires. You notice this in verses 2 through 4 and what happens to Jesus. This is the temptation to what John refers to as the lust of the flesh. First John 2 and verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, and then he says this, the lust of the flesh. So what's going on here is that this was a temptation in the realm of the physical, appealing to physical desires. And when Satan approaches Jesus, he says to him, If you're the Son of God, he often casts doubt in order to get his foot in the door. Jesus, the Son of God, was fully human, and he was fully God. And the enemy approached him when? When he was hungry and when he was weak. And it's often when we are in a tired, hungry, vulnerable type of position that temptation comes to us. He typically does not attack us at our point of strength, He attacks us at our point of weakness. And that point of weakness is through physical desires. And what was wrong with Jesus making something to eat and turning the stones into bread? He had the power to do it. Is it not true that he would multiply food miraculously later on? Yes, of course. The answer is, it was because the devil wanted to ruin the mission of Jesus. And if he could convince Jesus to do something trivial in the midst of a spiritual exercise, in the midst of a spiritual moment, in the midst of his preparation for the mission that God had in front of him, then he would have had him right where he wanted him. And it's a similar strategy that we fight with today, that we're tempted to satisfy our physical desires in ways that are not honoring to God. In a moment of weakness and it takes us off of the mission that god has for us And he wanted him to satisfy his physical need In a way that was contrary to the will of god First john 2 and verse 17 says the world is passing away with all of its desires But whoever does the will of god remains forever So everything that is physical is temporary And the will of god is eternal And Jesus would demonstrate that it is better to be hungry than to disobey the will of God. And it is better for us to say no to a physical desire that we would be drawn in, in temptation by, than to disobey God. And we desire these things that God has made, food and water and shelter and physical relationships and comfort and all these things that are in the right context, good God-given desires. Nothing wrong with them. What does the spiritual enemy do? He turns them and directs us to take advantage of these things in our sinful nature. And we do so in a misguided way that dishonors God. So that in part is where temptation comes from. But then temptation may come also through twisting the word of God. You'll notice this in verses 5 through 7. This was a temptation to the lust of the eyes. 1 John 2 and verse 16 references the lust of the eyes. This describes the temptation for an outward show that is contrary to the will of God. So what did the devil do? He took Jesus to the holy city of Jerusalem. He takes him up on the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And the pinnacle of the temple would have been somewhere around 200 feet high. So a leap from that height would certainly have necessitated some angelic protection or something supernatural to happen. And it would have been a remarkable spectacle in front of the people. This was a temptation in the realm of the spiritual appealing to sensationalism. And Satan quotes From Psalm 91. He twists the word. What does he do? He refers to a passage that is actually talking about the protection of God for his people. And if Jesus did what he said and God miraculously upheld Jesus, then Jesus would be given in that moment honor and glory. It would have been one of those look at me moments and it would have been in full view of all the people. But here's the problem that's not why Psalm 91 was written. That was not the purpose of it. It instead indicates that God watches over his people and he protects them from danger. It is a psalm of trust telling us how God takes care of his people. And to put God to the test is evidence of not truly trusting God. And we can be tempted when God's word is twisted to do things that dishonor God. You know where one of the most prevalent places is that this happens today? In places that call themselves churches and call right, wrong, and wrong, right. Who affirm things that God explicitly says are wrong and celebrate things that God clearly says are contrary to his will? And I want you to know, first of all, those are wolves in sheep's clothing who are covering themselves and leading people astray in the name of religion, in the name of the church, even in the name of Jesus Christ, wrongly so. But behind that is a spiritual enemy who wants to confuse beyond confusion To convince people that somehow things that God has said are clearly wrong are in fact right. And to celebrate things that God says clearly are going to bring you destruction. And if we're not aware of that, the spiritual enemy can pull us in. And today that is happening at a rapid rate. And we've got to be aware of that. We've got to be aware of false teachers. We've got to be aware of people who are twisting the word of God. Because it's not just people that are twisting the word of God. It is the spiritual enemy that is twisting the word of God. And bringing temptation to people who are nothing more than confused and are going to be led astray. That is wickedness. That is not righteousness. That is not from God. It is from the enemy. And we can be tempted when God's word is twisted to be something that it is not. And then temptation may come through the things of this world. Verses 8 through 10. The devil takes Jesus up on a high mountain. He shows him all the kingdoms of this world and their splendor. How he did that, I don't know. But I believe it to be true because that's what the Bible says. He promises to give him all these things that he can see. If Jesus would just bow down and worship the devil. Now, to a degree, the devil has authority over this world and its systems. He's referred to as the God of this age, lowercase g. The temptation could not have been real unless there was a sense that he somehow temporarily possesses or has influence over these things in the age that we live in. Now, remember, God had already promised it all to Jesus. It had been the possession of Jesus from eternity past. But he promised that in the realization of his mission on this earth, that Jesus would be recognized as God and king over all. So what was the devil doing? He was offering a shortcut. He was offering the payoff without the pain. This was the temptation to the pride of life, as 1 John 2 and verse 16 references it. The temptation was to get Jesus to serve something or someone other than God. And all Jesus had to do was give Satan what he had longed for uh, from when he fell from heaven. He wanted him to give him worship and recognition of the same status as God. And it was the devil who said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I will be like the most high. Isaiah 14, verse 13 and 14. You say, well, how does this apply to what we face? We too are tempted. We too are lured in. And we are lured in by the things of this world. And they look good, and they're, they're shiny, and they're exciting, and they're appealing. And we're drawn to those things. And we think somehow, if we can just take hold of those things, that we're going to find satisfaction. If we can take hold of those things, we're going to find peace. If we can take hold of those things, that's really where life has begun to be lived. And the enemy is telling us something that's just not true. And he's trying to trap us in something that draws our affections away from God. Have you ever seen an alligator snapping turtle? Uh, Maybe you've uh, been fishing and actually seen one in the southeastern part of the United States. They are the largest freshwater turtles uh, and they can be as large as 250 pounds. Now, these alligator turtles are actually carnivorous animals. And while their diet is primarily fish, they've been known to eat pretty much anything they can get a hold of, including small uh, baby alligators if they can get close enough to them and the alligator snapping turtle relies on a uniquely deceitful method of foraging for fish. The turtle will lie completely still on the floor of a pond or a lake or a river with its mouth wide open. And at the end of the turtle's tongue is a small pink worm-shaped appendage. The turtle wiggles the tip of its tongue so that it looks like a worm moving through the water and when a fish comes to eat the worm the turtle's jaws rapidly close and trap the fish so that it cannot escape similarly to that alligator snapping turtle and the lure that it presents temptation comes to us in the desire in, in the guise of something that is desirable Is this not what idolatry is? Idolatry looks good. I mean, it looks like you're going to get the pleasure without the pain. You're going to get the payoff without any kind of consequences. And the enemy presents these idols in front of us. And we get tempted to go after them. And we give in. And we do so to our own destruction. And we buy into the lie. Church, Temptation follows certain patterns, and we need to be aware of those patterns if we want to find the victory. And then last, here's the good news. Temptation can be overcome. It can be overcome. Now, when you got saved, you were no longer enslaved to sin. You were empowered by God. And because Jesus was victorious ultimately over temptation— And over sin You can be as well Listen to this promise in 1 Corinthians 10 In verse 13 No temptation has come upon you Except that which is common to man But God is faithful He will not allow you to be tempted Beyond what you are able But with the temptation he will also provide the way out So that you may be able to bear it So know that your temptation Is not unique Your temptation is not unusual And your strength is in the power of God to have the victory. We will not ultimately escape temptation until we arrive in heaven. But in the meantime, we can live in the victory rather than living in defeat. Jesus endured temptation on our behalf. He did not sin and he won the ultimate victory at the cross. Hebrews 4 and verse 14 and following says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. C.S. Lewis wrote, Mere Christianity, and in it he wrote, No man knows how bad he is till he's tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that people do not know what temptation means, that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of an army by fighting it, not by giving in. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That's why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They've lived a sheltered life by always giving in. And we never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside of us until we try to fight it. You know one of the major problems today in the church? A lack of separation from the world. Hardly anybody's even talking about it. People turn it off when you start talking about a lack uh, of separation from the world. And there are so many people that in their heart desire life with God and say by their own profession that they know Jesus Christ, but their life is just like the world. They're living just like the world. Their affections are just like the world. The time spent is just like the world. The things they put their resources in is just, just like the world. And friend, it's not supposed to be like that. The church of the living God are to be a people who are are set apart. How can we be conformed to the image of Jesus if we're at the same time living in such a way that we're being conformed to the world? How can we become a more holy people if we're not vigorously pursuing what it means to be a more holy people? And I'm here to tell you today that one of the calls of the church today is to call people to a life of purity, a life that honors Jesus Christ, a life that is different from the world. That does not mean that we are not in the world. It means that we are not of the world. and It means that we understand the holiness of God in such a way that we long for it. We want our lives to be be purified, to be refined for there to be a wholesomeness about us that reflects Jesus in what we do. And until you get that mindset, you will not be conformed to the image of Jesus. You will simply go through a religious exercise. And there's a major difference between going through the religious motions and being conformed to the image of Jesus. There's a whole lot of difference from between sitting in a a seat on Sunday morning in church so that you can feel better about yourself and actually pursuing Jesus Christ as your king. Major difference. And if you don't see the discontinuity between those, you're missing out on what God has for you. You're missing out on the blessing. You're missing out on the grace You're missing out on the transformative power of the gospel. And temptation can be overcome by depending on the power of God. Jesus rested in the power of God. Temptation can be overcome by depending on the word of God. You'll note here that all three times Jesus was tempted, what did he do? He responded with Scripture. He responded from the book of Deuteronomy, man must not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do not test the Lord your God. Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Jesus used the word of God as a weapon of defense. And if the son of God in the flesh on the earth used the word of God as his defense, how much more do we need it? But you know what this requires? If You're going to use it for your own protection and your defense? you actually got to know it. You've got to spend time in it. You have to have a hunger for it. You have to have it saturating in your heart and your mind so that when temptation is presented to you, you can use the Word as a weapon to counter the lies of the devil. But if you're ignorant of the Word of God, you'll be poorly armed to face the temptations of life. And temptation can be overcome by remembering that you're never alone. The Spirit took Jesus into the wilderness, and as soon as the devil left him, angels came and ministered to him. Friend, God will meet you at your point of need, and not only will God meet you at your point of need, God will give you the power to overcome temptation can be overcome now understand only jesus was perfect in resisting temptation but if we are to be conformed to the image of jesus then we will be growing in the likeness of his holiness and while we will not be perfect there will be a developing pattern in our lives where we are living in the victory rather than living in the defeat that's the point we, we want that pattern to be building progressively in our spiritual lives To where we're living the victory that God has for us rather than living in defeat. So I ask you this question as I come toward a close today. are Are you experiencing victory over temptation? Right now, you know the answer to that. Sin is deceptive. It promises what it does not give and it gives what it never promised. And as the old saying goes, sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you wanted to pay every single time. If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Let me give you some practical helps to have victory over temptation as I close out this message. First of all, cultivate godliness because temptation will strike you when you're least prepared for it. Cultivate godliness because temptation will strike you when you're least prepared for it. He will attack you, and the spiritual enemies will attack you, and your own flesh will attack you harshly if you're not even attempting to cultivate godliness. Be aware of your weaknesses, second, and avoid spiritually dangerous situations. We all have different weaknesses. If we were to take the $180,000 that that uh, Chilean worker. Uh, absconded with. And we were to put it in a room and put some people over it. You could come back a month later, a year later. You know how much money is going to be in that room? $180,000. Because that didn't really bother them. It's not really that big of a temptation. But other people are going to be like that guy that left with it. They're going as soon as they get their hands on it. And there are certain things that draw us in that tempt us more than others. And you know what your weak spots are. Avoid spiritually dangerous situations, even if they're not your weak spots. Because we can put ourselves in a position where we're vulnerable and we do things we wouldn't normally do and say yes to things that we would normally say no to. And part of finding the victory is just avoiding that stuff to begin with. If if you put yourself in the midst of the darkness, you're more likely to respond to the darkness but if you keep yourself in the light you're more likely to respond to the light and then maintain an eternal perspective and remember that you're accountable to God when you give in to temptation and sin your relationship with God is not going to be taken away your salvation is not going to be removed and by the way some people take advantage of the grace of God presume upon the grace of God. That very question was asked of Paul in Romans, and he said, absolutely not. That's the furthest thing from it. You can't just say, well, it's of grace, so I can live like hell. Friend, that's not how it works. If it's of grace, then you want to live in the middle of the grace. If Jesus Christ died for your sins, then why would you presume upon the grace of God and then just go live like the world? If you're going to do that, don't call yourself a Christian. Don't do it. Because we're to be a changed people. This is the blood of Jesus Christ that paid the penalty for our sins. That he was willing to go to the cross and bear our sins. To bear the wrath of God. Why? So that we could be a saved people. A redeemed people. A changed people. That was the price for your salvation. Don't presume upon that grace and maintain an eternal perspective. Because all of us are ultimately accountable to God. And then finally, when you sin, repent and look to Jesus. Because the Bible says that we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's our advocate. He's the one going to the Father on our behalf. Let's our heads together for a moment as we pray. Only you know if you're living in the victory right now. If you are, would you take a moment and thank God for His strength in your life and for the blood of Jesus and the power of the Spirit and the truth of the Word that helps you to overcome temptation? Just take a moment and thank God your Father for all that He's doing in your life. But maybe you're struggling with something and, and it could be a a life besetting sin. It could be one of those things that's, that's lingering and hanging on and you, you just can't break free from it and find the victory. There's victory to be found in Christ. If you know him and you're resting in the grace of God, God will give you what you need. Would you trust in him? Would you ask him to help you? Maybe there's something you need to repent of and give it over to God and say, God, I'm, I'm tired of living this way. I don't want to presume upon your grace. I want to live for your glory. Now would be a good time to get serious with God. Just to lay it all out in front of him because he already knows what it is. Just say, God, I, I need you. I need you to help me so that I can live for Jesus. I don't want to live a lie, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to go through the motions. I want to live for Christ as a changed person. Maybe there's somebody here who's never taken that first step of faith. You've never turned from your sins and embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And the Spirit of God is calling you today to be saved. Would you trust God? Would you believe in Jesus for your salvation? Father, I know this is a tough subject. We all live in the middle of it. We feel the challenge of it, the pain of temptation, the reality of the times that we give in. We cannot do this in our strength. We can only do this in the power of the risen Christ. And I pray that you would help us to live in the power of the risen Christ, that we would look to Jesus as our victor. And that we would grow to be more and more like him. Father, you're the father who loves us with an everlasting love. You're the one who gave the blood of your only son for us. Help us to realize the price that was paid for our sins and to live in a way that honors and glorifies you. God, I pray for a a church that desires to be a pure church, a church that desires to grow in holiness. Father, I pray that we would not just go through the motions. But I pray that we would seek you, that there would be a a passion in our hearts, that there would be a, a reality in our lives of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple. God, help us in that. And we want to give you all the glory for the good that comes from it. In Jesus' name, amen.